when I bit my had my first piece, I was like, oh, this is um, this is nice. It's really crispy, you know. And then I realized it's not crispy; it's crunchy because I'm eating the rib cage. <gasps> God, wait. <laughs> yeah, I forgot how small a creature it is. This is Lick the Plate. I'm your host, Cameron Bernard-Jones. Ash and I have been friends for a few years now, and he is one of those people who I consider to be a renaissance man. He is of Jamaican heritage, was born in Manchester, United Kingdom, and is now based in Hertfordshire, which is a county just north of London. In addition to being a martial artist, Ash is a travel and lifestyle blogger. And as an avid traveler, I just knew he'd be down for traveling across the entire Greater London area to visit moi. In this episode, we explore Ash's travels through Japan and Vietnam, and I finally learned why he calls himself the Traveling Sensei. So, all right, let's get into it. The Traveling Sensei, what was the inspiration behind that name? Oh, I love this question. Okay, so um, it's a bit of a double one. So this, the traveling is pretty obvious, self-explanatory. The sensei part of it um, started with the fact that I grew up in martial arts. So it sort of ties into that. And the fact that I also lived in Japan and taught English in Japan and the Japanese word for teacher is sensei. So it means teacher or master. So it all ties in, especially as I use my page and my platforms to try and educate people about travel. So it kind of ties into the, the sensei part of it. It took me a while to think of the name. Um, I even went, I had another name that I'm glad I didn't go with. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the origin of the traveling sensei. And so you lived in Japan for how many years? I was in Japan for two and a half years, I believe. I was supposed to be there for one year. Uh -huh. And as soon as I landed, I knew the hardest thing to do would, would be to leave. Um, and a year went by like that and they asked me to it to extend. Um, I said I would extend for six months. Six months flew by. So I said, okay, I'll do another six months. And then I said, you know what, if I don't leave now, I'm never going to leave. So <sighs> I had to cut the cord and head back home. Um, do I miss it every single day? But oh, wow. I'm kind of glad that I, I didn't, I didn't stay. Um, because other, everything else that's come from or since then wouldn't have happened. So yeah. But Japan was your, your jumping point, your uh, your springboard for what was to come travel-wise and just lifestyle-wise. Yeah, I think so. Um, I've always been a very independent, or I was a very independent child in this set. And I always had this thing, which sounds weird saying it now, but when I was about eight, I always told myself I wanted to go somewhere I've never been before, be completely cut off from everybody I know and just see how I survive. Um, so yeah, I just, I basically went, and traveled and lived in Asia. Um, funnily enough, I don't know if you remember uh, when they were in Japan, when they had the Fukushima disaster with the tsunami and et cetera. I actually went out there two weeks after that happened. Oh. So <laughs> understandably, everybody was telling me I shouldn't go. Um, and when I was, when I started my job, they placed me as far away from Tokyo as possible. So I ended up being 11 hours Northwest in um a city called Matsue, okay. which is, I would have never have heard of before had this not happened. 
but I'm so glad that was the place I was because it was such an amazing city. It was, it was a city. It wasn't too big or, or like bustling, yeah. but it was just beautiful. They had like canals, waterways running through the city. I was living on the seventh floor of an apartment building. As soon as I opened my front door to leave, I'd have a view of the lake, lake, which is Lake Shinji. Um, so you'd see the fishermen, like, cat, you know, throwing their nets out in the morning and oh, wow. the sunset. It was, oh, it was amazing. Yeah, it was great. Love it. So Japanese food and culture, but specifically food mm -hmm. is, I mean, it's, it's renowned worldwide mm -hmm. in different forms, whether it be, there's, it's barbecue there, right? Yeah, there's yeah. barbecue. Oh, yeah. The, um, one thing, like, one thing that people don't realize is how much, like barbecue, like chicken and everything is celebrated and loved in Japan. Funny story. Um, well, tidbit. In Japan, a lot of people and a lot of families go to KFC for Christmas, ah. which is interesting. I didn't know that until I was there. I'm like, why are there so many people in KFC on Christmas day? But apparently it's a thing. So families just go to KFC. I didn't know that. What's on the KFC menu? If you can remember a, um, Jap a Japanese KFC menu. I can't remember too much. I know there's rice. They had rice. Um, it was most mostly the same things, just different flavors and different seasonings. Um, back then when I used to go to McDonald's, I don't eat McDonald's now, but they had uh, like a teriyaki burger, oh. which was actually really nice. <laughs> a really, really, ni really nice. Um, I, one thing I do remember about the KFC um, restaurants was just the difference in the kernel. Sounds really weird, but the, the kernel, the actual kernel, the, the, the logo, the man yeah. would be in like, um, like bowing positions as opposed to just like standing up as they would be doing in the West. Oh. It'd be like a, it, it was very culturally appropriate in terms of that. Um, and even when I was in Thailand, funnily enough, I think Ronald McDonald outside the McDonald's was, was doing the same thing, which is really interesting. So yeah, that was a nice, um, it was a nice, nice change. Besides the appreciation for barbecue, what, um, you know, we associate sushi, of course, mm. with Japan, uh, the bento box has made it all around the world. But mm. of course, I mean, Japanese food and cuisine is so vast and varies in style. And for, I feel like it has different purposes for different times and different occasions. Mm. Um, how, how was it to, how was it to integrate your your own taste into Japanese cuisine and culture, or, or how did you learn uh, how to eat, what to eat, what what you liked? <laughs> I learned that through, let's call it a baptism of fire, mm. um, because when I got the job to go and work in Japan, they said I interviewed here in London, and they're like, oh, you know, make sure you have enough money to cover you for the first month until you get paid. Makes sense. I think I managed to scrape together just under a month, but I was like, it's fine. I'll make it stretch. Get there. Two days into the training, they're like, okay, guys, just so you know, the Japanese pay system works a little bit differently here. You don't get paid for the first two months. <gasps> so I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I basically had to make just under a month's worth of pay stretch for two months, which meant that for the first two months, I had no internet in my apartment and no cell phone. And this was around 2011. So it wasn't, you couldn't ask Siri anything because Siri wasn't a thing. Um, so it meant that I basically just had to learn. I, I, and that was actually funny enough. I absorbed a lot of the Japanese language within those first two months, just because my body went into survival mode. Yeah. Um, I would go into these supermarkets and couldn't understand any of the labels. Yeah. So I pretty much just had to learn what symbols and what characters meant. Um, and I just learned that way. The first, 
I, I remember the first time I went to the supermarket, I went to buy some eggs and some like olive oil to just make some breakfast or something. Um, and when I got home and tried to cook the eggs, I was thinking, why are these eggs sticking to the pan so much? And then I found out later on that it wasn't oil, it was rice wine. Um, so I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to cook with, with rice wine. Um, yeah. So that, that was, uh, that was an interesting integration or, or, um, but yeah, it was, it was great. Um, but not, once I finally learned about, you know, what I could eat and what I couldn't eat, it was great. There was, so, it was funny because I, for those last two months, no, the last two weeks of, the two months of having no real money, I survived on spaghetti and curry packets for those two weeks. Um, so that was, I just kind of made it work. Luckily I've been raised to cook, Yeah, you know, and just, you just make, you make a meal out of what's in the cupboard. Um, that's a, probably a cultural thing where we just like, whatever you can find, you make it into a meal. And that's how I got through it those last two weeks. But the moment that the first paycheck hit, it was fine. Like, I got paid very well and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I would actually didn't really eat sushi while I was out there at all. At all. I'm maybe twice. What? Wait a minute. Okay. Let's run that. (laughs) Yeah. In the two and a half years Mm -hmm. that you were in Japan. Yeah. You had sushi maybe twice, maybe twice or the, the sushi in, in, in the way that people assume sushi is, um, because people think sushi, they think raw fish. Sushi Uh is not the, not the raw fish sushi is the way that it's prepared and the way that it's made so you can have sushi with like cooked pork on it or um you know and cooked meats and hot meats i i had a, some of those ones i didn't really have the the raw fish style of it mm-hmm. um so no sashimi no ni no not okay. really because there was a lot of fr- oh by the way okay slight diversion but not really the best place to find good food in japan are at the kombinis um convenience stores. Mm-hmm. So they have like a Lawson or a Seven Eleven on pretty much every corner. And they have a food section, which just dwarfs anything that we see in the West. Like there's, there's the ready meals that they have yeah. are like red, the premium ready meals. And they're so cheap. Onigiri is, was one of my favorite snacks, which is like um, rice balls. Uh-huh. So you get them in like a triangle and you have seaweed and I'm stuff. obsessed with those. Those are amazing. Over here, they're really expensive, but over there, they're really, really cheap. I mean, the only place I've had onigiri is wasabi, the restaurant, yeah. and you know, they're stored in the refrigerator, which I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Maybe that's not the way. I don't know. You no, I mean, they, they do have them in the refrigerators over there. Okay. Um, but it's, it's, they just don't taste the same. There's only, Funnily enough, we, so you and I go to, um, Bone Daddy's, right? Yes. Um, and that is, it's like a, for those that don't know, it's like a ramen bar, um, in central London. And that's probably the closest place I've been or clo- the closest to Japanese ramen that I've had since I've been back here. Okay. Which is why I enjoy going all the time. Yeah. Um, I love it. Yeah. So it's, it's nothing else. For example, I cannot stand, what's the place called? Um, Tonkotsu? Wagamama. Oh, Wagamama. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Which, can I tell you a story? I I think my body repulses Wagamama. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I There's something about it, and I've gotten different things. There's something about it, it just does not sit well with me physically. Mm. I'll just I'll just say it as that. Yeah. Every time I've eaten 
a noodle dish or a rice dish, I just don't feel well. Yeah. And so I stay clear away from Wagamama. Sorry to everybody who loves and is obsessed with Wagamama, but I cannot. Yeah, shout out to them. I'm not one of those people. Um, <laughs> I think the last time I went there was when I was trying to be vegan, um, which lasted all of four months until I went to New York and ate ribs. Um, but <laughs> when I was there, the, their vegan options were just not good. And their, their um, katsu curry doesn't uh-huh. taste anything like... It just it just makes me depressed. It's like eating McDonald's for me. Funny, did you know that Wagamama means like lazy? <gasps> yes, it's along the lines of, of lazy. That's what it means. So it's, it's, it's very apt. Now I'll say that again for the people in the back. Yeah, Wagamama um, loosely translated means lazy. So take from that what you will. Mm. Not my favorite place. Again, shout out to everyone who loves Wagamama. Not my favorite. When you introduced me to Bone Daddies, Mm. it was the first ramen bar. Or what is is that safe to call it a ramen bar? Or is that me being too? Uh... Well, I said a ramen bar. I, okay. I because I, obviously they, it's a bar because they serve alcohol and stuff. I don't drink, so I just see ramen when I go there. So I would Got call it. it ramen bar. So yeah, it was the first ramen bar I've been to in London. Cause I've I've been to a couple in New York, which are probably not open anymore. This is like at least a decade ago. Mm. Can't even remember the names. Um, but yeah, it was the first one I you you introduced me to mm. in London, and. I have not been to any other ramen place in London since. And yeah. there are plenty. There are I mentioned ton- Tonkotsu. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of other little ones which have the cues coming out, out the door. Mm. Um, but I just, I think I am loyal to Bone Daddies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's the name. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when I try to recommend this place, the initial side eye I get from people when I say the name, and I'm like, let me just explain what it is because they say, I always say, Oh, why don't you try eating at bone daddies? And they're like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to kind of explain that, but there are, there, like you said, there are so many places around London, but I just have no desire to really go to them. There is one place that I would go, I guess for the social media aspect. And it's, I think it's Uzumaki ramen, which is based on the Naruto anime series. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, there's a, they, I think they serve a lot of the dishes that are seen in the anime. Yeah. And it's all, the, the decor is very based on that. So I really do want to go there at some point. Um, but yeah, no, I love, I love, I love me some bone, bone daddies. It's great. Um, oh, one thing I forgot to mention about Japan and, and its food was that, um, I, when I got there, and like I said, I, for the first two months, I didn't have any, um, cell phone or internet and i one of the things that i said i wanted to do when i got out there was to find a church Mm. um which was interesting and i knew that less than one percent of the japanese population is even christian so i was like how is that even going to happen i'm not even even in a main city i may have told you the story before but for for the listeners i i i'll I'll tell it again um and i remember one day i was looking for an internet cafe I think it was maybe the second day that I was in Japan. Um, and I remember because obviously nothing was computer based. They basically writ, writ drawn out a map for me to the, the internet cafe. Obviously me being stubborn, I didn't take the map with me. I was like, it's fine. I've committed it to memory. I'll do what I need to do. I'll find it. Went down the com- completely the wrong, the wrong street. It was supposed to be 15 minutes away. I was walking 15 minutes goes by 20 minutes goes by 25, 30. 
I think it got to about 45 minutes and I just stopped. I was like, I just stopped in my tracks. I was like, it's obviously not in this direction. And I remember stopping next to a gate, which was on my left. And on the other side of the gate, there was a, like a kid's playground and a sandpit and everything. And there was this older lady that was walking through it. And I called over, I was like, oh, excuse me, do you know where the internet cafe is? Obviously forgetting that I'm in Japan. I don't speak Japanese. She probably doesn't speak a word of English. She sees a six foot two black man just like shouting stuff over the gate. <laughs> so she sort of scurries back inside. I'm like, okay, fine, obviously, you know, whatever. So I'm getting ready to turn away and go. And the same door that she goes in, this this gentleman comes out and he kind of like smiles and waves for me to come in. Um, and he was like, oh, you know, he spoke English. He was like, oh, you know, where are you trying to get to? I told him in their cafe. So he actually prints out a map for me. Really, really nice. Um, and as I'm leaving, he's walking me out. He says to me, oh, are you from England? And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm from London. He says, oh nice, are you a Christian? And I was like, yeah. And he says, oh good, because I'm a pastor and this is my church. What? Yeah. <laughs> and then I looked at the top of the building, there was a big cross on it and I didn't even notice it. Get out. 100%. 100%. And he was like, oh, you should come to my my service on Sunday. And I'm like, I'm not giving, I'm not ignoring the sign. So I absolutely went. And that became like my Japanese church family. Um, and it was like, they were technically my Japanese family. So I had like two grandmothers, um, aunts, uncles, like cousins and stuff. And they just looked after me while I was there. Um, and I'll, the reason why I mention it is because after every service, we would all eat together. Yeah. And which was a big part of it. So there would be like a long table. Um, everyone would kind of sit down together. I had, I mean, I had two Japanese grandmothers, but I only really had one. Okay. And she was like, the seat next to her on her right was mine. Nobody else could sit there. So we would sit, I would sit there and then she'd be basically like filling my plate and telling me to eat more, um, like fattening me up. And it was just really wholesome, you know? Yeah. Um, so I always, whenever I think of things like onigiri, um, which are the rice balls I spoke about earlier, I always think about the grandmother at the church um, because we would have, there'd be like big bowls of um, rice. So it's rice and seaweed and a bit of meat in there. And then you get, everybody has like a piece of um, cling film Mm -hmm. And then you put the cling film over your hand and you basically scoop up a ball of the rice from the bowl and then like um, compress it into a rice ball and you just nibble that Ooh. along with all the other things as well. So you had like your, your makeshift onigiri. Um, so th those, those, so mem like food triggers memories for me. Yeah. Um, especially like comforting memories like that. So that's why I brought, brought it up. Um, but yeah, I miss them. I do miss them. I hope they're okay. You know, yeah. shout out to the church grandmothers. Shout I out feel to like the church grandmothers. They are everywhere, all over the world, no matter where you go. Mm. <laughs> There's always a church grandmother saying, eat more or piling more food onto yeah. the plate. Oh. It's, yeah, it's really comforting. Um, and they even trans they translated my mail for me as well because there was one lady that was at the church who was an English teacher. And for some reason, even though the Japanese government knows you're a foreigner, they still send everything in Japanese, like all your bills and things. So I'm yeah. like, what do I need to pay? Um, she would just translate it and stuff. And she would actually translate the service for me. So we would sit next to each other. And obviously the whole service was, this was before I could speak and understand a lot more. Um, and she would basically write down notes throughout the service and just give me the notes in English at the end. So I could kind of go home and just absorb them, which was amazing. Yeah. I'm I mean, a fan. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you made a home home, not I just did. like... Yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, good times. We're gonna stay in Asia. Let's do it. And we're gonna we're gonna take a boat over to Vietnam. <laughs> okay. Let's so see. Vietnam is on my list mm -hmm. of a place to visit 
first and foremost for the food. <laughs> yeah. You have definitely been to Vietnam. I have recently, actually. I need you to just tell us all about it. I mean, that country seems so rich in, well, everything. Mm. One of the main things I, 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 I research when I'm trying, or when I'm looking for somewhere to go is what the food is. Mm -hmm. If there's something that I want to try, I'm going. Um, if somewhere has a bland, like, palette or menu i'm probably not going to enjoy it as much um i'm not saying any places but yeah <laughs> go back let's let's stay in vietnam vietnam was amazing so yeah one of the things it's known for is is it's far which is the the, the soup etc please say that again i mean we look at the spelling yes and immediately say pho understandably yeah. but the correct pronunciation is pho. pho yeah what exactly is pho the blog page Flavors of Hanoi explains it all. Pho is a Vietnamese noodle dish served in a thick ceramic bowl consisting of rice noodles, broth, meat, and fresh vegetables and herbs to garnish, such as green onion or scallion, coriander or cilantro, sweet basil, bean sprouts, and the list goes on, usually finished with a squeeze of fresh lime. There are two kinds of pho, either pho ga, which is chicken noodle soup, or pho ba, which is beef noodle soup, which is considered to be Vietnam's national dish. Local cuisine experts and researchers have concluded that it has a history starting in the late 1880s, and according to those researchers, it is a corruption of the French word pho, meaning fire. Hence, pho could be a Vietnamese adaptation of the French soup pot au feu, the French beef stew which the French brought to Vietnam when they came to colonize the country. A good pho depends first and foremost on the quality of the broth. Pho is not pho without its broth. It's the vital element that gives pho its life and soul. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. Um, now, what I was going to say next is in no way um, a representation of all food in, in Vietnam. But the very first night I got there, um, I went to, it was like really late at night and I remember going to get some cash from an ATM, left my card in the ATM, but that's another story. On the way back, I saw a place that, that was selling far on a street corner. And I was like, cool, I'll have some. It was absolutely delicious. Destroyed my stomach. Oh. Um, and I think, but I think to be honest, it was more to do with the water that was being used for it as opposed to the food itself. Like I had some after that and it was absolutely fine. It was delicious. Um, there's something really hearty about the broth that's, that's used to make it. Mm -hmm. um, and actually when I got it from the, the lady on the street corner, it came in plastic, like separate plastic bags. So I had to assemble it all myself. So there's a little plastic bag that had the meat in it, some that had the, um, the greens in it, some that had the noodles, some that had the soup. So when I got back to my, my apartment, I just had to kind of put it all together um, and just hope for the best. And it was, it was amazing. It was so good. Um, so absolutely far. Um, there is something I was, had to try, which was called banh mi. Um, everybody that, that, that knew I was going to Vietnam was like, you have to try banh mi. And basically what banh mi is, it's like, it's almost like a sandwich. It's just very soft bread. And then the filling is whatever you want it to be. So meats, vegetables, etc. Very simple, used everywhere, tastes incredible in Vietnam. So highly recommend that. Um, 
Oh, I ate so much food. I'm just trying to think now. There was a lot of noodles. There was a lot of rice. Um, I'm a big rice person. So pretty much everything that I have or will order, if I can, will have rice somewhere in it, uh, which is very comforting to me. <sighs> Not good for the waistline, but comforting anyway. Um, <laughs> and Vietnam was where I tried some of my most um, interesting dishes. Um, what were some of the most interesting? What interesting in terms of flavor or? Um, interesting in terms of not necessarily things you would try over in, in like where we are in the UK. So for example, one of the things I had was like crocodile, which was okay. I mean, I've had gator in, in, in New Orleans and mm -hmm. that was delicious. You um, liked it. Oh, I did. I don't. Really? Yeah. What is it you don't like about it? I don't it? know. It's just because it's kind of in between Texture-wise, like, you know, poultry and yeah. fish, I was kind of like, you don't know where you want to sit, so that's, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very accurate description of it, actually. Um, I think when I was in Vietnam, it was it was more, like, crispy. I think it was just a different way of doing it that okay. wasn't necessarily my, my, my taste, but that was good. And the one that triggers most people when I tell them is that I had rat. Um in Viet see your face just there oh. for the for the listeners um cameron's face dropped but yeah that's fine i had rat um please describe it how was it prepared what did it taste like so it was on the plate it looks like any other meat um it tastes like texture texturally it tastes like chicken um and i remember Biting my first, it was very well seasoned, by the way. Very well seasoned, nice sauce. It came with like vegetables, rice, oh, on a plate. Like listen, it, one thing the Vietnamese will do is season their yeah, food. Yeah, it was, oh, yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. But there was, when I bit my, had my first piece, I was like, oh, this is, um, this is nice. It's really crispy, you know? And then I realized it's not crispy, it's crunchy because I'm eating the ribcage. <gasps> God, wait. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot how small a creature it is. Um, and what I was crunching was actually a bit of rib, which... Come on, calcium. Yeah, it was, it was, it kind of put me off a little bit. So after that, I was picking with my fingers, as opposed to eating big chunks. Um, but it was really nice. Like, the meat was delicious. Like, I preferred it um, by far over the um, the crocodile. Mm -hmm. I didn't even finish the crocodile, but I finished the rat. Um, oh, oh, by the way, it's not city rats. I just wanted, I just want to. There we that. go. Not city rats. It's not rats that you would see just in and out of people's trash cans. These are field rats. So what they do is they catch them in the rice field. So the, the rat's diet is just rice and grain. That's what they do. And they catch them. They're like massive rats. And then they you know, cook them up and eat them. Okay. When you break it down like that, mm. Mm, this is going to be controversial. Mm -hmm. But when you break it down like that, they're catching these field rats, which are out roaming mm -hmm. you know in in fields eating the healthiest of diets versus mm -hmm. a lot of how the chicken especially in the united states how chickens are raised mm. and don't have the healthiest of diets and are raised in cages or whatever I see sunlight so that's very interesting maybe that'll have me think about it differently or maybe anybody else who goes to vietnam and has mm. any reservations about trying rat knowing that these rats are field rats and not the rats we think of. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't associate what we know as rats mm. um, with what, with what that is. It's, it's not at all. Though. So I did that. I had them when I was doing a tour of the Mekong Delta. Mm -hmm. So I was in Ho Chi Minh city, which was my first stop. I actually, I was there for eight days and I was, I visited five different cities. So it was a lot of traveling and each one I had to fly to. 
So it was um it was it was a lot, but it, it gave me a different sense of different parts of the the country, um, food based, experience based, etc. So yeah, the Mekong Delta, highly recommend it. Um and yeah, they give you the option as part of the tour um to try these things. They obviously because the, you're you get lunch provided and it's just the standard Oh yeah, they have something called elephant earfish. I forgot about that. So elephant earfish is a very intimidating looking fish that is also part of the same lunch. Um, and it looks like the skin on it or the scales look really flaky. It's massive and mm -hmm. it looks like it has some sort of skin condition. Um, <laughs> but there's a lady that kind of, what she does is she pe um, pulls some of the meat off it and then wraps it in uh, vegetables and wraps it in a wrap and hands it out to you as, as like wraps. And it's, it's delicious. It's amazing. So that was part of the same meal. So you get an actual proper meal. You get chicken, you get meat, etc. Then you just have the option to add these things onto it as well, mm -hmm. um, which I did because why not? Um, something that's not quite food related, but is, I mean, it was, we tried the same tour, um, banana wine and snake wine. Um, now I did say before that I don't drink, but when in Rome, I tried a little, it was literally like a tiny, tiny bit at the bottom of a glass, both of which awful, oh. <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> no way. Okay. I would have assumed that the snake wine just is a big no, but yeah. banana wine is not it, good. It's disgusting. I mean, it's horrible, but again, I'm not somebody who is, is very well versed in drinks. It tastes like alcohol to me which makes sense. Um, but I did see the other people who were drinking, their faces were telling me the same story that my, my palate was telling me. <laughs> so, and, and it's not, it's not like the, I think they use like red bananas um, and they kind of ferment it in that, in there. So it's not just like, it doesn't taste like bananas. It's, and funnily enough, when it comes to the banana wine versus the snake wine, the banana wine has less of an aggressive initial taste, but mm -hmm. an awful aftertaste. The snake wine is the opposite. The initial taste is tastes like bile, and then the aftertaste is not as harsh. Because effectively, what they do is they use the snake's venom to to kind of ferment the whole thing, and then they have the whole the the snake inside the bottle of the wine. And, I imagine that. Yeah, and the snake has a scorpion in its mouth. And of course, there's a lot. There's a lot going on in there. Come on, theater. Yeah, <laughs> and it, literally, and it tastes exactly how it looks. Um, do you know what kind of snake it was? A cobra. Okay. Yeah, it had the whole. Yeah, the the neck stuff. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm curious now to see what different types of snakes would make what different types of wines. I mean, that's the place the place to find out. So when you do go, you can ask them. Okay. And it was weird because about ten minutes before, I actually had a live snake on my neck. So they had like a big, massive white snake that they were handing around. So from going from that to like, oh, let's drink one of your co-species, um, it was interesting. Uh, but yeah, no, that so that food was great. Um, what else did I have? Um, I had, so I did this tour of a night market um, when I was in Da Nang, which was my, no, I was in Hoi An, so it was the third city out of five. And that city is famous for its lanterns. It's got this place called Lantern Street. Um, they have these massive lanterns. You can go on boats along the river and you have lanterns on there. It's amazing. It's all on my page. It's great. Um, but they have a night market and I, I went and tried to get as many things as I wanted or I, as I could. So I got um, barbecue which I think I had squid, like octopus 
tentacles on there as well as um they had frog i didn't try the frog and the reason why i didn't try the frog was because i went to the night market just before it was closing and i didn't want a chance getting the last the end of day type of um <laughs> frog yeah because uh, it was it was just there on display and they were like do you want it i was like mm, i'll pass i'll just take the other stuff but the barbecue was delicious i had um pancakes so uh, I had a banana and nutella crepes um which i love anyway i had vietnamese pizza which is it's basically toppings on rice paper um it's actually really nice. That sounds good. Yeah, it was really, really nice. What were that. the toppings? Um, there were a few. So I, there was definitely beef on there. Some things I couldn't quite identify. And I was like, I'm not even going to ask. It's fine. Um, so there was beef on there. There were some vegetables. There were some other things that no idea what they were. It <laughs> tasted amazing. Um, and they had some, it was like on, like layered in some sauces. Um, but Vietnamese pizza you can find anywhere. It doesn't just have to be in, in Hoi An. Okay. It's quite famous across across um, Vietnam. Um, that was really good. Um, and I had, oh my gosh. So my favorite fruit by far is our lychee. I am obsessed with lychee. Whenever we have them over here, I'll buy them in kilogram bags and go back the next day and get more. But over there, they had a um, lychee tea, a part of the night market. Um, I ordered a medium, tasted it went back for too large um, what it was amazing. it was so good like i sipped it and i was like i need more of this this is not enough i could tell already so i got two large ones it was it was so good if you get the chance oh it was, oh, it was so good so so good um yeah i'm trying to think what else i had it was a lot of, i mean there was a lot of rice dishes a lot of noodle dishes um but yeah it's it's such a rich country in terms of flavor. Different parts of the country have different flavors. So they might do the same or similar dishes, but the taste might be completely different because they might use seasonings that are more local to that particular area. Um, and I love stuff like that. I love, I love experiencing a culture through its food. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's from the North to the South of the same country, it's, if you, if you try it, you'll know the difference and you can almost taste the history through it. And I absolutely love that. So we have spoken about Japan. We've spoken about Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I want to play a game with you. Ooh, I love a game. And it's what I call Diner's Choice. So mm, it's basically okay. this or that situation. Your first choice to make is ramen or pho? Ramen. Why? Because there's there's more attached to it for me in terms of um, nostalgia and memories. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's also not my favorite dish from Japan. I haven't actually told you what that is yet. I can tell you now. Yeah, there's um there's a dish called okonomiyaki, which is hands down my favorite Japanese dish. Okonomiyaki is for for the listeners or for anybody that isn't familiar with okonomiyaki, it's like so you'll go to a, a Japanese restaurant and it's one of the places that will have the hot plate in the middle of the table. If you order okonomiyaki, what you'll get is a bowl full of random ingredients, um, like shredded vegetables. You'll get some, 
I think batter at the bottom and these little things that look like Rice Krispies. And then from that, you can order to, you can order either seafood, um, meat or mixed. I'm greedy. So I got mixed every single time. And what you do while the plate is heating up is you are basically mashing everything together in the bowl until it looks like not very nice. It looks <laughs> like somebody might have thrown up. But what you do is you, you mash it all together and then you pour it into the middle of the um, the hot plate and you basically fry it like a pancake. So you let the bottom part crisp and then you flip it over and then that part crisps up. And then if you want to, you can put fish flakes on top of it. It is, oh my God, I want to go back right now. Um, it's my favorite. It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite dishes ever from anywhere I've been. Um yeah, I love it. Okonomiyaki is is one of my um one of my favorite. I think it's only or it's more famous in the Kansai region, which is like the center central part of it, but yeah. Anyway, yes, to answer your question, Ramit. <laughs> Ramit Overfa. <laughs> Listen, I love attention regarding yeah. food. So next question. Mm-hmm. Onion or garlic? Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um I would pick I'll pick onions. Soy sauce or teriyaki? Teriyaki. Hoisin or oyster sauce? Hoisin. Thai red curry or Thai green curry? Green. Since you're a rice guy, mm-hmm. white or brown rice? White rice. Silky or firm tofu? Hate tofu. I will pick, okay, it's, it's one or the other. I would pick, I'd pick firm. Vietnamese coffee or Thai iced tea? tea because i don't drink coffee bowl or plate bowl if you had a choice to eat with chopsticks or bare hands which would it be chopsticks can i go off on a tangent real quick about chopsticks um (laughs) fun fact since i was a child i used to collect chopsticks and i would just eat everything with chopsticks regardless of what type of meal it was Mm mm-hmm um, I just loved using chopsticks. So even if it was, even if it was like, like we call it yard food, but like Jamaican cuisines and stuff, I would still eat some of it with chopsticks um, to the point where, so when I w- actually went over to Japan, they were like so impressed that I could use chopsticks without even thinking about it. It's because I've just grown up using them. And I think I still have some random unopened pairs, like um, packets of chopsticks. Cause I like to, f- every time I find like fancy ones, mm-hmm. I used to collect them. Um, so yeah, when you said chopsticks, I was like, ah, nostalgia. So do you prefer eating with wooden chopsticks or metal chopsticks? Um, I prefer wooden ones, actually. Um, metal ones are really, especially in, I mean, I haven't been to South Korea, but I know in, in Korean, like cooking and, and eating, there's a lot of metal chopsticks. And to be honest, I think it's, I mean, it's probably better because it's better for the environment, etc. but, um, I don't have, have as much experience with metal ones. So I've always preferred wooden ones. Yeah. Not the disposable wooden ones, the fancy wooden ones. Wait, what's okay? What's a fancy wooden one then? Well, wooden ones. I'm talking like ones that have like patterns on them, ah. not the ones that you get that you just yeah yeah that splinter when you try to break them apart. I hate those ones. Okay, with those ones that you have to break apart, mm-hmm. are you meant to rub them together so that you get some of the splinters off? That's actually quite crass. Um, in it's a bit of a faux pas. I mean, people do it. Um, but no, you're not really meant to to do that. Because, and I think because when I was in Japan, all the ones, all the disposable ones didn't splinter. 
I think it's just ones that I've seen here. When you break them apart, they have like big pieces of branch sticking out of them. But the ones over there were just, they were quite smoothly rounded. And then mm. you pop them, it's only at the top that they were connected. Um, so it's a bit of a faux pas, but you, we get allowances for being foreigners in Japan. Um, Did you make any other faux pas while you were in Japan, especially your the beginning times of you being there? No. Um, funnily enough, because I... I was so excited about going. Yeah. When I when I actually interviewed, one of the things I did, I mean, when I when I went for the interview, which was teaching English, um, all they said was, Oh, if you have any evidence of you working with young people, bring that in. Um, and then that was pretty much it. I obviously made two folders because I'm extra. So I had like two massive folders of evidence. Um, and one of at the back of one of them, I did a lot of research on faux pas and culture and tradition over in Japan because one of the things I really don't want to do when I travel anywhere is offend anyone um, in terms of like things that could be avoided. So I did a, there was a whole chapter in the back of, of, of the um, book about what things that you shouldn't do, like sticking your chopsticks face up, like um, directly up in your rice, because it, it looks a lot um, like um, the incense that people burn when their um, family members have passed. Oh, wow. So you don't, you don't stick your chopsticks in like that. How do um, you probably place your chopsticks down? So what you do is if it's a bowl, you just put, place them across. So okay. you're um, flat across the top of the bowl. Um, I don't think I've ever really seen anyone stick them up anyway, but yeah, it was a, that was a real don't do this <laughs> um, in the back of the thing. So there was that one around food. Um, some places, especially like Asian countries, like slurping isn't frowned upon, especially if it's noodles or ramen or something, because it's, it's a sign of enjoying it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, if you don't want more food, don't finish your, don't clean your plate. Um, I learned that the hard way. Say that again. If you don't. If you don't want more food. So if you say, I'll give you an example. If you're at a family's house and yeah. they're feeding you, if you're full, leave some food on the on the plate because if you clean the plate to that family they're thinking oh i haven't fed you enough this is like i don't want to bring shame on myself on my family let me give pile more food on your plate <laughs> so that's um yeah so if you if you're if you're full <laughs> just leave a little bit and just say you know i'm i'm, I'm, I'm full um or on a guy pie in japanese say it again on a guy pie i'm full mm. oh but when when you start when you when you're about to start a meal um, you start by saying itadakimasu it's like I'm about to eat or you know and at the end of it you say gochisosama or gochisosama desu thank you for this meal um, or thank you for your hard work technically because you can use it in work spaces as well um, but yeah so I, I even I, now I still do that mentally not so much out loud um, but I, when I'm about to eat something I, in my head I'm just like itadakimasu gochisosama uh, I can't help it it's, it's ingrained we're going to take a pause right there with Ash, but be sure to tune in next week for part two of our conversation, where we continue to talk about his global travels and discoveries. In the meantime, check out Ash's travel and lifestyle blog on Instagram at The Traveling Sensei. And as usual, keep up to date with Lick the Plate by following it on Instagram and TikTok at Lick the Plate Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you do not miss an episode. You can find all this information in the episode description. This is your host, Cameron, reminding you to savor your memories and sip your curiosities. And if you decide to spill the tea, remember to serve it up with some good vibes on the side. 
See you next time for part two of this conversation right here on Lick the Plate.